and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Move Related Show on the planet, the John Cavey Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. Guys, we got a lot we're going to be talking about here today. A little bit of an update on the upcoming Avengers 5 Kang Dynasty. We'll get to that in a bit. Could the Ten Rings actually be the villains in the upcoming Thunderbolts movie? Will Wolverine be rated R after he appears in a Deadpool film? Movie theaters banning kids who are under 17 years old. Going to talk about The Mandalorian Season 3 debut, that and a whole bunch more. And we're glad that you're here joining us. Joining me here today, we got one writer, director, producer, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Back there, we've got Ray Ora. Of course, running the show today, Jonathan Voico. Beside him is Taylor Gonzalez. And most importantly, you guys are here. And thank you so much for making this show part of your day. Hey, just a little bit of housekeeping. I want to remind you guys that if you need your daily fix of the John Campia show, but you can't be in front of a YouTube video, there is good news. There's an audio only version of our show simply creatively called the John Campia show podcast. Make sure you guys go and subscribe to that podcast. So it'll be there when you need it. All right, guys, <laughs> that down, we got a couple things to talk about here today. And we're going to start off with this, you know, to me, movie theaters are a temple. And when I'm going to the movies, I'm going to church. I, I love going to the movies. Even when a movie ends up being, eh, like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, I still love going to the movies. You know, it's just a great thing. However, there are a few things like going to church that can happen in the sanctuary that can be annoying and distracting. And, and not to paint with a broad stroke or to stereotype, but I think it is fair to say that a lot of the time, certainly not all the time, but a lot of the times, some of those distractions that may happen in a movie theater might be happening by somebody who's been uh, on the planet, maybe uh, not as many years as other people, (laughs) maybe some teenagers or something like that with the ones with the phones and the chatting and the talk. Again, not to paint with a broad stroke, many, many older adults do it too, but This was interesting. Somebody sent this to me on Facebook and was saying, there's this movie theater, and I'm trying to remember where it's from. Uh, Let me bring up the the website here. But it says, where is it? Richmond, Virginia. Richmond, Virginia. Boulevard Squared, baby. The Richmond, Virginia movie theater in a theater that's owned by, I think it's called the Bowtie Theater Chain. Not Not a massive one, but a bigger one. And they have now made, passed a rule going into effect that after 7.30 p.m., I think, is their time, nobody under 17 will be allowed in the movie theaters. Now, they were talking to, like, one of the general managers of the chain, and because they were at... He, the general manager of the chain was kind of asked, like, hey, don't you think that your patrons might, you know, rebuff against this? And the general manager kind of just said, actually... This is kind of in response to what our patrons are asking for. And he said, you know, we are wanting to create a more mature viewing experience. Not that we haven't seen 38-year-olds act like effing imbeciles. But, you know, generally speaking, they say we wanted to create a movie-going experience for for a more mature audience. And, and, uh, you know, there we go. So, listen... Like we always say, Rob, and, and you've brought this up many times, it's not show friends, it's show business. They believe this move, while a lot of people who go to the movies are under 17, but they believe this move will increase viewership, will, will make 
more people feel good about going to the movies. They're not going to be as distracted. Maybe. I mean, that seems to be the hypothesis. And certainly as a private business, they can do whatever they want. Mm. You can set age restrictions. You can call it an adult experience. You can do whatever you want sort of thing. And I got to admit, Rob, I'm kind of split on this in my mind. On the one hand, I personally know people that would go, if they did that here, that's the theater I'm going to. Like, I, I, I know some casual moviegoers are like, oh, yeah, you made it so I wouldn't have to worry about, like, these meddling kids being, being in here. That's movie theater I'll go to. At the same time, what if you're a family? What, what if what if you've got kids, you know, who are 12, 13 years old, you want to take them to go see Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, apparently because you hate your children? But no, sorry. But you want to take them to go see Ant-Man, you want to take them to go see, what, what if you want to take them to go see the new Super Mario Brothers movie? But you, you, you he's got, you know, Junior's got a soccer game, at five, so the early screen you can be at 30 p.m., whatever. I mean, I could see that be negative too. So I'm kind of, I look, look, I'm actually very interested to see how this little experiment works because the company was quick to say, hey, listen, this new rule of ours is not set in stone. We will play it out and, and we'll see if our patrons respond to it. I'm going to be very curious to keep my eye on this and see, does this increase the number of people going to their theaters? Does it hurt their business? I don't know, Rob, you hear about this. What do you think about this move? Well, you know, on one hand, look, I think that we've seen a fundamental lack of respect in our culture toward everybody. It begins in schools with a lack of respect for teachers, you know, starting at younger ages. And, and boy, if you wanted to sound like the guy yelling, get off my lawn. You no, but I, but, it, I, and it, but it goes, I was going to say it goes all the way up through every part of our society, uh, not just with kids, but with everybody. And, and I've seen it, adults disrespecting other adults in public. You know, we, we're just not as nice and polite and mindful of, this, of the world that we live in as we used to be. And I've seen people of all ages turn their phones on and talk out loud Absolutely. in movie theaters. It it's ain't not, just teenagers. It isn't just teenagers. However, the thing about, uh, I, I do think that they're more so than ever, there's this, there's an idea that, when you're having, when you have social media that you just have to respond to it, I've never understood why anybody who goes to see a movie, who's paid to go see a movie, why would you allow anything to disrupt the experience that you just paid for? Not for yourself, much less other people. I mean, when you, there's nothing more annoying when you're in a dark theater. Whenever somebody pops up a phone, you can see it if they're twenty rows in front of you. Yep. And I hate that i hate my peripheral vision being disturbed there's no reason for it there's no reason for why anybody should turn on a phone during the film but the problem is john like you said at the beginning churches our movie theaters are like churches to us it's a holy experience going into the theater and experiencing this those stories i mean i become totally immersed when i watch a movie and and one of the, i think the fun things for me has always been there's people from all walks of life all shapes, sizes, colors, creeds, belief systems, sexualities, whatever, all gathering in one place. And they're all there, despite our political differences or whatever, to see the same story. And I've always found it uplifting. I love watching all the different kinds of people come and sit in a movie theater with me. You know, and we're all there. to. As soon as those lights go down, everybody's watching the same thing. Everybody cries together. Everybody laughs together. It's really inspiring to be in a movie theater. And I hate it 
when people come in and talk and disrupt the experience. I've never understood it. And I've watched it. We've all watched it change over the last 30 years. That's why I love going to the Arclight. You know, the Arclight wouldn't tolerate it. And they wouldn't even let people come in late. You know, if the movie started, you can't come in. I love that. Okay, so let me get you back to the question. What do you think about this theater and, and these new policies they're implementing? I think it's great. I, I, I think it's great because you know what? For all the people that are going to scream and yell, maybe you'll police your friends and, and you'll when, when stuff happens again, maybe it'll bring the kind of respect to the movie-going experience back to where it should be. Because, you know, when you're going into a movie theater, it's not just about you. It's about everybody that you're also sitting with. They've paid to see the movie as well. And they didn't pay for you to disrupt their experience. So I think it's good that they're doing this. And you know what? I'll bet you their business goes up. Because I think one of the things that has turned off, but what they're going to have to deal with is there's going to be adults in these screenings that do the same stuff. Now, how are they going to do that? If you're an adult in one of these childless screenings and you turn on your phone, I hope people are even worse to you because, hey, if they're going to make the, the if they're going to make kids stay away, what they're trying to do is get rid of douchebaggery in general. And if an adult does that, I hope the people in the theater like throw popcorn at him and, you know. We when we went to go see Creed three, some guy standing or sitting in front of Ray was pulling out his phone and texting during the movie, and uh, security guard literally came came up the stairs to him and said put your phone away and then he just stood there for the rest of the movie watching the guy well because they don't know if they're recording something i know but i just liked i, I like I that it. they did that i, I, I think, think more theaters should do that i think that they should you know it, it just shows a fundamental where, where are we going to draw the line and say look people need to be respected that's what society is john and why shouldn't it begin at the movie theater mm. all right guys question is for you Movie theater in Richmond, Virginia has decided that after 7.30 p.m., nobody under 17 is going to be allowed to come into the theaters. Will this be a great move to help create a better viewing experience of the movies? Or are you punishing a lot of teenagers who are under 17 who have never caused a problem in their life? Whatever you guys think about this, jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. That down, let's move on to this. You know, there are probably... 50 to 100, like really what I would call touchstone movies. And I'm not talking about associated with the studio touchstone, but like touchstone movies that are like, these are movies that like all real movie fans, all significant movie fans, they remember. Even if you didn't see them, you know that. Jaws. Jaws is a great example. E.T. is an example of that. Citizen Kane is one of those. I would propose that one of the movies that made a real impact and people talked about for decades afterwards is Fatal Attraction. 100%. Fatal Attraction was definitely one of those kind of movies to me. And, you know, Michael Douglas and fabulous. I didn't know that there was a series of Fatal Attraction coming to Paramount Plus, and they have now dropped the trailer for it. And it's got Joshua Jackson, who at first I went, really? Joshua Jackson's in that? And I'll straight up tell you, I don't have a lot of celebrity crushes anymore. Lizzie Kaplan is one of my celebrity crushes. (laughs) I have been borderline in love with that girl, especially ever since Hot Tub Time Machine, hmm. when she gives that line, oh, I'm awesome. Like, I I love her. And I'll tell you what, at first I'm like, really? it's This is an interesting one to do, and you're doing it as a series. Okay. But I bought into Joshua Jackson pretty quick. Like, because at first I'm like, that's an odd choice. But when I actually saw him starting to play the role, I'm like, oh yeah, Joshua Jackson's 
probably could be a grandparent sometime soon. But on top of that, like, but Lizzie Kaplan, like, my God, that part where he shows up at home and there's the woman he had the affair with hanging out in his kitchen, talking to his wife. I, I, I got to admit, I felt the tension. Is it a fool's errand to try to recapture that magic of that, fir- that horrifying dark magic of the first one, of the original? Maybe, but maybe that's the reason they decided to do it as a series instead of as a movie to, to maybe, you know, go in different directions, do different things. Listen, I'm just saying, I had never even heard of this project, to be honest, brutally honest. I liked the trailer. I, I actually thought it was interesting and it got me at least a little bit interested. Anyway, Rob, I know you are a big fan of yeah. the original. What do you, do you think about this trailer? I mean, you know, Adrian Lyne directed the first Fatal Attraction and and I think what made that movie so interesting was it was a zeitgeist film at the time it came out and it posed an interesting question to the audience. You know, was, was Glenn Close wrong? Was she right? Was Michael Douglas? First of all, that was I, the conversation in society around that movie. It went on for a long time. Same thing happened with like Indecent Proposal, but that's not nearly the as good a movie, even though it was directed by the same guy. Robert Redford, Demi Moore, yeah, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, yeah. yeah. And it, it, same question. Like, would you let somebody sleep with your wife for a million dollars? You know, I, that conversation went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, I thought this looked pretty good. You know, I think in, in our, like, I've always liked Joshua Pacey. Jackson Pacey. I've always liked Joshua Jackson, and I don't like. He was really good in Fringe, the TV show Fringe. I did. I liked him in Fringe. I've, yeah. I've liked him as a performer, and this this is kind of an interesting role for him. I hope that this really. We live in a much different time. I mean, the post Me Too era, the idea of how do you how do you how do you deal with these kinds of things in the real world? What does it all mean? And I think I love that they kept the original logo too, for the most part. Um, I think this could be a really interesting show. I hope it's really well written because there's a lot it can delve into. Um, and, you know, Fatal Attraction got pretty rough. Poor rabbit. Oh, that, that's that's the one that that's the one that scarred me when I, I, I was younger when I watched this. And I, I think I caught it on a VHS yeah. tape. But it's like that rabbit. What that dude. And, that scarred me. And Glenn Close, I will not be ignored, Dan. Yeah, you know, you know she, they got to have that line. Yeah, and, and when she's sitting playing Madam Butterfly, just turning her light on and off. I mean, <laughs> that's the only, my only criticism of that was I really like Glenn Close, and they made her a little too crazy because because I liked her. You know, and she says, you know, when she's meeting Michael Douglas, we're, we're both alone, that much is, is certain. We're both adults. But when you do these movies that are to serve as like, the campfire story cautionary tale right right that's what it was this was and mo- usually the cautionary tale movies and tv shows are made for younger people this was a cautionary tale for adults yes you want to stick it's... your willy in there you never know what you're going to find in there be careful could be a whole cave of crazy you know what's really interesting the original fatal attraction has a, had a different ending that they changed because of test screenings and it's on the disc and in the original ending, Michael Douglas gets like arrested and taken away. I'm wondering if that's going to play out into what's going to happen on this show because the times have changed. Because you know, it's it's there's going to be a lot of uh, sexual politics going on on this show, and I'm sure it's going to be if it's well written, John. We could be talking about this every week. All right, guys. Question is for you: uh, Paramount Plus, who has been taking some pretty big swings and having a lot of success lately. Just put out a trailer for their new upcoming series, Fatal Attraction, with Joshua Jackson, Lizzie Kaplan, who I love. I, I'm interested. I, I, I got to admit, I'm, I'm interested. I liked what I saw. What did you guys think about the trailer? Whatever you guys think, jump into the comments section below and let us know 
your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, it's time for us to move on to our Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. If you guys have a question for the show and like to hear your voice on our show, go ahead and call that hotline number anytime 24-7 at 951-268-4259 and maybe you'll hear your question on our show. You know, we got a really interesting one about the possible future of the Ten Rings. Check it out. Hey, Campia crew. This is Jonathan from uh, very snowy Sonora, California. And my question is actually regarding uh, a topic on today's show about where we could next see Shang-Chi in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, and I actually had a thought when you popped up Thunderbolts. I was wondering, what do you think about the Thunderbolts actually having uh, the Ten Rings as the villains? We know for a fact that uh, once uh, at the end of Shang-Chi that – the Ten Rings was stated that they will be returning, and we saw his sister actually trying to basically remake the Ten Rings into whatever she wants. So I was wondering if maybe those could actually be the villains of the Thunderbolts. Thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And you know what's really, yeah, because you weren't here, Rob, but yesterday one of our topics was, you know, where could Shang-Chi show up next? Because, of course, good Canadian kid, Simu Liu, he made the comment while being interviewed. He said, you know, uh, Shang-Chi could be popping up sooner than you think. So we went through the list of all the upcoming movies and, and where could he pop up? I think we kind of landed on probably the Marvels, considering what, what we consider to be a tie between Ms. Marvel's bangles, the Ten Rings. We saw the Ten Rings logo in Ms. Marvel, all that kind of stuff. But that brings up, and I'm really interested that he wrote, that he called that in because a few, I want to say a few weeks ago, I and probably some of you heard some whispers and rumors like we hear a million of every day, but we did hear some whispers and rumors about maybe 10 rings being the villains of the, the or should we say the antagonists of Thunderbolts. Now, because the caller brings up a very, very legitimate point at the end of Shang-Chi, when, like at the end of the Eternals, we are accustomed to seeing the Eternals will return, right? So where the return, where the Eternals gonna be returning? We'll talk about that another time. But at the end of Shang-Chi, it did not say Shang-Chi will return. It specifically said, after the post-credit scene, the Ten Rings will return with Ronnie Chang and Victor Drago. And Anna and I rewatched the original two Creed movies last night. Man, what, what's his what's his Florian uh, Mentau Mentu? Yeah, something like that. A freaking monster should be his name. That dude's that dude's a beast. He played uh, Razor Fist in, yeah. in the first one. But the, but it ends with Razor Fist and Ronnie Chang's I Speak ABC standing next to Shang Chi's sister on either side of her. She's the new Mandarin, if you will. And there were some whispers. I think I and I'm sure everybody else just kind of dismissed those those rumors. But it's an interesting question because when I sit down and think about all the places, I mean, they did say the 10 rings are going to return. Okay. Where? I don't expect a 10 rings Disney plus series, especially not now with Bob Iger saying, Hey, we got to slow our roll a little bit on how many of these things we crank out. God, Thank I want to see, I see this picture. I want to see this. I'm, I look, I, I hated the idea of this, not hated, but I had no interest in the idea of this movie when they released the actual lineup and the cast. Then I was like, yup, I'm in <laughs> like, this. Yeah. I, I'm all, I'm very, very excited for this movie now, but you know, cause we talked before about, you know, Oh, could abomination be the villain? But 
It's like, what would any of those people do against abomination? Could, uh, who was the guy you were hoping for, Ray? Century. Oh yeah, Century. Could Century be the guy? But that I don't know that Century welcome, really right? fits there either. <laughs> Something like the Ten Rings. Like you got this conglomeration group of these eclectic characters in the Thunderbolts. Maybe it's a full organization they're going against. Maybe now the, the American government has their eye on the Ten Rings. I mean, look, I am not saying that I have any insider information about the Ten Rings being a part of Thunderbolts, nor am I saying that I actually believe that that's going to be the case. But when you bring that up and say, well, it says they're going to be returning, where can they return? I, I, all I'm saying is that wouldn't be a bad place to put them. Anyway, Rob, the question is posed to us. Could we maybe see 10 rings as the antagonist in something like Thunderbolts? And if not, let me post you, where would be a more logical choice for them to pop up? Well, first of all, I love the idea of the Ten Rings being a uh, an anti uh, antagonistic organization, kind of like Spectre in the James Bond movies. You know that this is a, a global organization that have their fingers in many pies, uh, and now obviously they have new leadership, new ways of doing things. Maybe they become more fierce, maybe more dangerous, and they do something that that poses a threat on a global scale. But it's not it's not an Avengers level threat. You know, and the Thunderbolts, it's the kind of thing that the Thunderbolts as a new team, like we're forming this team, Victoria, what's her name? What's, what's Julia Louis, Louise Dreyfus, Valentina, Valentina, blah, 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 Countess, blah, blah. Yeah, Countess Valentina is, 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 look, we need, we need a way that we can combat these things without press. No one's going to know who you are. We're not, we're, no one's going to, there's going to be no Avengers. There's no Thunderbolts tower, you know, and, and they're, Thunderbolts tower. they're specifically <laughs> formed to go after organizations like the 10 rings. And by the way, you have two, I love the idea that Shang-Chi's sister's leading them because I love that, you know, and maybe Valentina and her have beef like history. Well, I love the line that she has. One of the lines that she, actually, I like a lot of her lines, but one of the lines she has is Shang-Chi, which is so great. When she's talking to Aquafina, she says, if my father won't let me into his empire, I'll build my own. And then Aquafina's like, hell yeah. Like, that was a great line. Yeah. And to see her sitting then on that throne with uh, Florian on one side and Ronnie Chang, that's like, that was a pretty cool visual. I yeah, like and I love Ronnie Chang. Yeah, I, so I, I love his stand-up. I love him. He was great. And I, I, I think the Ten Rings is something Marvel needs, more of a grounded threat that's, that's terrestrial as opposed to extraterrestrial gods and monsters you know now that does of course bring up the question that it was i think it was last week that we found out the walking deads and the invincible steven yoon has is going to be in thunderbolts now they have nobody there was no official word on whether he was going to play uh a familiar comic book character whether he's going to be a new character whether he's going to be a protagonist or an antagonist could he be that some people are speculating that he could be the villain Maybe. So I'm not quite, since we don't really know what he's going to be in that, I, I mean, we're kind of left still kind of speculating, but, but, but let me, let me ask you though, let's say they're not in Thunderbolts, which they right. probably aren't, but let's say they're not, where would be a logical place? Like they clearly have plans for them. They put on screen, the 10 rings will return. And I don't think they just mean that for another Shang-Chi movie. I don't think the sister is going to become the, the enemy of Shang-Chi. Where would be another logical place for the Ten Rings to pop up? Kang Dynasty, because the rings, of the, the Ten Rings themselves, even though Shang-Chi has them, maybe Kang goes to the, because maybe a, a different variant has had. Already has the Ten some, Rings or in some, some other reality? Some kind, something. 
you know, and, and, and goes to, I mean, that would be a thing that can't, cause Kang would need help. You know, if you're creating a dynasty, that means you have followers, you know, maybe Kang says, well, hey. I think dynasty is just their change of words from council. Sure. So I think I, instead of calling them the, the council of Kangs are calling them the Kang dynasty. But I mean, they do want to build a new dynasty on the earth mm. or whatever, and they need help. You know, we, we uh, sure, I guess you could bring all the council with you, but you, you, you know, the idea of a dynasty that's going to last thousands of years, you know, or something like that, they're going to, I would think that they would need, they would need organizational help. And maybe Kang has had, Maybe when Wu knew him, you know, and, and he, uh, he doesn't know about the changeover between Shang-Chi and, well, uh, come back down to get those 10 rings or whatever, because we don't know where they're from. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about that? I mean, at the end of Shang-Chi, they say the 10 rings will return, but where's a good place for them to return? And could one of those places be Thunderbolts, maybe? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do another hotline question here, shall we? And this one's asking us a little bit about after Deadpool 3, how are they going to handle Wolverine? Check. Hey, Mr. Campia. This is Steve from Louisiana calling with a question. I was wondering, I know we're getting Deadpool, we're getting Wolverine together in a movie finally, and it's going to be rated R. So when we do get our new Wolverine in the MCU, will he be rated R or will he be nerfed? I just wanted to ask you that question in this. All right, thanks a lot for calling that in from Louisiana, man. And this is a very, very interesting one because one of the topics a lot of fans want to bring up all the time is, is bringing Rated R into the MCU. Kevin Feige has been very unambiguous and very direct in saying the MCU is not doing Rated R stuff other than Deadpool. I mean, he's he's been very clear about that. Now, Kevin Feige is a human being. He can also change his mind or have a change of heart or whatever. Hard to imagine that now that Big Papa Iger is back in charge. So uh, whatever. So we've been asked, a lot of people asking about Blade. Kevin Feige seemed to directly address the Blade thing, says only Deadpool's going to be rated R. But, but here's an interesting thing. We've talked about how one of the challenges Marvel is going to face is how do you handle Deadpool if you introduce him in his own R-rated films in the MCU? And then have him in anything other than a Deadpool movie where he's suddenly censored and suddenly does not swear and suddenly does not have the sensibilities that he has. But what I have not thought about that our caller brings up, and I think it's a really interesting question. Look, if you're reintroducing Wolverine, now granted, it's going to be a different Wolverine because this is the Hugh Jackman Wolverine that we're getting in Deadpool 3. But still, if you're bringing Wolverine into the MCU in Deadpool 3, and that is going to be an R-rated movie, how, even though it's going to be a new version and a different actor, how do you approach now bringing Wolverine, uh, the new Wolverine, whoever the brand new Wolverine is going to be into the MCU, the MCU's Wolverine moving forward, how do you now bring that character in, not rated R, when you just had a version of Wolverine that was probably going to be very rated R? And how do you do that without major, major obstacles? I would propose that there is no way to do it without major obstacles. There, there's going to be some challenges they have, some per perception ideas. But I would also say this. We have had, look, Hugh Jackman became a fan favorite long before the R-rated Logan movie came out. Yeah. And especially if you go back to like Days of Future Past, Wolverine has been very, very violent 
in, in a number of movies, and it, they didn't have to be rated R. There's ways to show his visceral violence without necessarily being rated R. So that's not the hard part. I don't think the hard part is now dealing with expectations because we're going to see a Hugh Jackman Wolverine in Deadpool 3 that I'm not going to be surprised to see him schnick somebody in the gut and then as he pulls his claws out, there are intestines hanging off his... Oh, I, yeah. I'm just saying I, I, would not, I would not put it past him to do that in a Deadpool movie. But then how do you go back, say, to a Days of Future Past style Wolverine where it's, it's not so rated R? Honestly, I do not think they're going to have Wolverine be rated R. And I don't think they necessarily have to nerf him because he's been quite violent before. But I'm not going to pretend like it's not going to be a challenge. But at the end of the day, I don't think they make Wolverine rated R after this. Anyway, Rob, what do you think they're going to handle? They're going to do about this? I think you're pretty right about that because, look, Deadpool is not just rated R because of violence. It's also language. It's sexual innuendo. There's, there's all these things that you're not going to find in an X-Men movie anyway. And the one thing about Wolverine that makes him is because he has bladed, he's got his adamantium blade, so the way he takes dudes out is violent. So it's hard. But look, like in X-Men 2 when he's fighting Lady Deathstrike, that's a really cool That's a great fight. fight. I like great, that fight. Great yeah. fight. And, and I think a lot of the violence in X-Men movies is fantasy violence. So they can get away. When Wolverine's fighting other mutants or fighting monsters or fighting other characters, he can get away with being a little bit more violent because it's not real. You know, he's fighting fantasy characters. And I don't think, you know, I don't, I would not like a movie where Wolverine is using a bunch of bad language, a lot of F-bombs and stuff. It, it would feel out of place. Um, I mean, you could throw a few in, I guess, but I don't think a Wolverine movie that's PG or PG-13 has to be compromised because of anything. I mean, I, 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 the character's the character. He's a great character. He doesn't have to be blood-soaked in order for him to work. There's as much... There's as much pathos and history in his character as there is just when he rocks and rolls as a fighter. So I think you could easily get away with it, like you said, without nerfing the character. Because I think, you know, it, it's he. we saw him in, in X-Men 1. He's got that opening scene when you first meet him. He's cage fighting. It's brutal. Yeah. But it doesn't hurt his character. It's still, that was still PG, I think, PG-13. And I loved Wolverine in that first movie when Q Jackman is introduced. He's great. Yeah. What do they call you? Wheels. <laughs> All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? Like, we're going to get Wolverine now into Marvel, but the first introduction is going to be Hugh Jackman's Wolverine in a very R-rated Deadpool movie. So then how are they going to manage the new Wolverine moving out of that and moving him back into PG-13? Or do you think Kevin Feige will change direction here and let Wolverine? But then if you let Wolverine be rated R. What do you do with the rest of the X-Men? Can you have Wolverine? I don't know. There's a lot of different, you know, obstacles to overcome here. Whatever you think they're going to do, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with all that down and before we move on to our next topics, we're going to take just a second here and thank a couple of sponsors of today, or at least one sponsor right now of today's episode of the John Campia show, our friends over at Rocket Money. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, Rocket Money. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. 
If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitor your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want and don't even use. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. My wife Ann and I moved out of Burbank two years ago and one of the first things I discovered when I loaded up Rocket Money was that I was still paying for a gym membership I haven't even been to in Burbank in two years. So stop throwing away your money. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to Rocket rocketmoney.com slash campia. That's rocketmoney.com slash campia. rocketmoney.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Rocket Money for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. Remember, guys, when you go and check out and support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you look down in the description of this video, you'll find a link to our sponsors and the promo codes. And thank you again to Rocket Money. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on here to this. You know, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is out right now. And uh, despite my joke earlier in the show, I don't hate the movie. I, I don't. I, I, I got some entertainment out of it. There are things about it I appreciate. Overall, I don't like it as a whole, but it's not terrible. At any rate, the guy who wrote that movie, Jeff Loveness, is also writing Avengers 5 Kang Dynasty. Now, whether or not after Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania became the single biggest second weekend drop in the history of, of Marvel films, whether or not that stays true over the next coming months, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But for now, he's still the writer of that. A lot of the questions come up, who's going to be in it? Because we anticipate a lot of Marvel characters are going to be in there, but which ones will, which ones won't? Well, from Jeff Loveness himself, the writer, we may have just gotten a hint about two characters that are going to be in it, and those are characters in the form of Moon Knight and Daredevil because the writer kind of hinted that they would be. This is what they said. We go over to my screen on this. In an interview with Polygon, uh, which is another outlet, Loveness suggested that Hawkeye and Moon Knight won't stand a chance when the many variant versions of Kang the Conqueror, Jonathan Majors, finally launches their attack. I wish Hawkeye a lot of luck against the Kangs, he said. And I'm sure that Daredevil and Moon Knight are going to be great against those guys. At the time of writing, this is the first apparent hint that both Matt Murdock and Mark Spector will feature in an MCU movie. Uh, Marvel Studios and Disney have yet to make a formal announcement regarding the cast of Kang Dynasty. So, it sounded like the writer of Kang Dynasty is saying, hey, I'm sure Moon Knight and Daredevil are going to do great. However, however... Let me be the wet blanket for a second. There are ways to interpret what he said maybe as a joke. Because like when he says, hey, I wish Hawkeye a lot of luck against trying to fight Kangs. Oh, and I'm sure Daredevil and Moon Knight will do great. Like, I, I mean, so there's a lot of people running around saying, this is it. It's confirmed. Daredevil, Moon Knight, going to be in Kang Dynasty. Which, by the way, I don't see why they couldn't be. But I... There's also one way of looking at this that maybe that's kind of his way of implying that they won't be in it because maybe he's making a joke that, hey, listen, a, a Daredevil and Moon Knight can't fight or Hawkeye 
can't fight Kangs. I, I don't know if that's what he's implying or saying. Look, I take it more on face value that he is implying that these two characters will be in Kang Dynasty. I, I'm just saying I'm not going to sell the house on it. I'm not going to buy fully into it because he could have been joking. But anyway, Rob, there are two ways of looking at it. Which way do you think he meant it? I think he meant it more probably like joking around mm. because because everyone always makes fun of Hawkeye. Like, you know, what's he going to do against alien threats or whatever? I think that's kind of how he was saying it. But I also do believe that in these next two Marvel Avengers films in Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, everyone's going to be in them. Daredevil's going to be in them. Moon Knight's going to be in them. I mean, Moon Knight... Uh, you know, if you're having a problem with Kang, just uh, call up Khonshu, you know, your favorite Egyptian god. Make him go toe-to-toe -to -toe with one of the Kangs or maybe the entire council. Get Amit to eat their souls. Who knows? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I do think that these characters, we're going to see these characters appear. I mean, obviously, you know, Moon Knight was in West Coast Avengers, so he's been in, appeared with the Avengers. So I, I, I could see it happening. And same with Daredevil. By I think way, they're going to have to use everyone. As much as everybody makes fun of Hawkeye. He's usually the guy who gets shit done. Right. <laughs> He's usually it's the true. guy who gets the crap done. That's a great piece of art, by the way. Oh, that is a great piece of art. I mean, look, I still have a hard time imagining how Moon Knight would fit into the tapestry of any kind of a quote-unquote team-up movie because that's that's a messed-up individual. That's like, yeah. so I, I don't know how that functions. Yeah. Daredevil? Well, we've already seen Daredevil in... Um, the defenders so we've already seen how i mean teaming up with she hulk we've already seen that sort of thing so that's a little bit more believable but i don't know guys question is for you what do you think about these comments from the writer of avengers 5 kang dynasty saying hey i think daredevil and spec mark specter are gonna do great against the kangs <laughs> do, do you think he just basically confirmed that they are going to be in that movie or did it sound more like a joke in the way that, of course, they're not going to be in the movie? I don't know. How did you guys interpret it? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our next topic here, and that one is this. The best show on TV right now is The Last of Us. And I say with all due respect to some great television that's out there right now. From We got the, the new season and final season of Succession coming up. Yellowstone has been a favorite of mine now for a couple of years. Um, I mean, uh, Shrinking is actually pretty fantastic. A lot of great stuff on TV. But I think Last of Us has very, very quickly kind of became the crown jewel of what's on television right now. It's just absolutely incredible. But we also don't know when we're getting the second season. And we've only got two episodes left. And then an unknown wasteland of how long we got to wait for the next one to start uh, or when they're going to start shooting where we're going to even see it could be like the HBO head said it could be 2025 until we get the next season of Last of Us, the next nine episodes or whatever have you. Well, we may have just gotten a little bit of an update from Pedro Pascal on the whole thing, because a lot of people had been speculating that they wouldn't even start shooting because Pedro's getting busy that they wouldn't even start shooting this thing until like mid-2024. But according to a question, it could be shooting a lot sooner than that. This comes to us from the folks who are at Screen Rant, who said Pascal did offer uh, some cryptic lots of, uh, sorry, cryptic bit of conf confirmation uh, that said, when he said this, there is a chance that The Last of Us Season 2 could begin filming later this year. In 2023. Now, he didn't straight up say, I can confirm 
we start shooting in uh, October or whatever. But he says, he said, he said, he said slyly, uh, there's a chance we can start shooting this thing in 2023. All right. I don't think he's saying that unless it's actually in a contract somewhere. I, I don't think he's saying that uh, unless there's already an understanding that that is what we're doing. And I'm going to play the optimist here, Rob. Maybe, maybe overly optimistic. But if they can say, for argument's sake, if they can start shooting this thing, let's say October of 2023, so in like six months from now, I think there's a chance we get The Last of Us Season 2 before the end of 2024. I think we could get it in 2024. Now, I understand they're going to shoot this thing probably for six months, all that kind of stuff. But this, there is a lot of VFX work, but it's, this is not an Avengers movie. Um, so I'm going to choose to be maybe irrationally optimistic and say, you know what? I think they are going to shoot this thing later this year. I don't think HBO is a company to rush, but a lot of other networks would have already been in production of their next season of a successful show like this. And if they didn't start shooting for another six months, they've got the blueprint with the last of us two game already. I think it is now theory. I'm going to hold out some hope that we could actually see season two in the third or fourth quarters of 2024. Anyway, Rob, you read Pedro Pascal's comments. Uh, am I being overly optimistic or do you think it's possible? What do you think? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you know, um, judging from how the show, I mean, you look at last episode. Yeah. We talked about how there's, they shot in a mall that they had to use VFX to create the second story sure. of, but for the most part, if you think a lot about that, there isn't, you know, they're in, real environments there they go shoot in real locations real places and and i think that there is a possibility that they could absolutely get this going um you know and i'm sure that neil Druckmann and here's the thing a lot of the time when we hear about tv shows like the animated series that i worked on for for netflix dota they did not announce seasons two or three until later on but we were contracted to make seasons two and three well did didn't you edit didn't you like even complete one of the seasons before you even announced that it was going to yep. be coming? Yeah. Yep. And and that's that's how animation works cuz you have to go that cuz it takes so long to animate. But right. this is this is different and with the success that it's having, I'm sure that that HBO as soon as they started seeing what this show was, I am sure that they made the deals to make more. Cuz they do that. They can tell. And and so it wouldn't surprise me if they're trying to figure out how to get schedules together and and shoot. So I I don't think you're being too optimistic. I mean I think they would want this show out in a year. And by the way, for those of you who are not familiar with the uh, with the story of the games, if you're enjoying The Last of Us season one, you ain't seen nothing yet. Season two, the second game, Last of Us two is, in my estimation, the single greatest story ever to come out of a video game. And 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 season one or part one is right up there too, along with, you know, God of War and, and things like that. But Last of Us 2 is the single greatest story ever told in a video game. I, like, it, it's the most moving, emotionally resonant, it just powerful over, it's just so, so good. You ain't seen nothing yet if you're really into season one. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Do you think there could be a chance, despite the fact that the HBO boss said, hey, it could be 2025. Do you think if they can get shooting this year that maybe 2024 could be a possibility? Or am I being overly hopeful? Whatever you guys think, 
jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's go into our final main topic here today, shall we? And that one is this. Yesterday, finally, depending on what time zone you live in yesterday, maybe for you it was early this morning, but the Mandalorian has returned. He's back. And so is that little green gaba goo we call Baby Yoda. And you know, it's John Favreau, no spoiler intended here. This shit doesn't give any plot away. But John Favreau, who clearly is very annoyed that a lot of people, including myself, still call him Baby Yoda, had had a moment in the episode where Din, the Mandalorian, was very quick to correct somebody who called them something. He says, Grogu. His name is Grogu. Fuck you. It's Baby Yoda. Anyway, so Mandalorian is back with a whole many. I lost count of how many shots just went to a table's edge with Baby Yoda's heads coming. <laughs> they made sure they had a lot of ah moments with Baby Yoda, as well they should. As well they should. Because that little green gabagoo made this show iconic, made this show a hit. Because, you know, the first episode of Mandalorian season one, that was good. It was whatever. But when that damn little baby Yoda showed up, that's when the internet exploded. That's when everybody lost their minds. So sure enough, they gave you a good little bit of uh, baby Yoda in this as well. First episode came out. Now, just so you know, a little bit later this afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, that's 5 p.m. New York time, I am going to be doing a Mandalorian open spoiler after show where we can talk in all the spoilery details about the episode. We're going to keep this discussion of it in a non-spoilery kind of way. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, there are a couple of logic points in this episode you know, Robbie and I were talking about one or two of them before we started the thing that to me, we're like, how does that part make sense? That aside, I felt like we were back. Um, I, I enjoyed the episode a great deal. It started with a bit of a bang. It ended, I think, in a great way. I had a lot of fun with it. Din is still Din. And I love, you know, we have, you know, some re recurring characters. We have some new characters pop up. So, sorts of stuff. We get some baby Yoda. We get some gun action. We get all that kind of stuff. It just really felt good to be back. Now, Ray was mentioning earlier that he felt that this season premiere, because there's now been three, was the weakest of the season premieres of Mandalorian so far. And I would concur. I would concur. But to me, that's more of a commentary on really, really loving the the uh, season one premiere and the season two premiere. I still like this premiere very much, but I will say this. And I hopped on social media after the episode was done and I very much enjoyed the episode. I'm looking forward to talking about it in a more open spoilery way later, but I got on social media after it was done. And I said, you know, now that I'm used to watching the last of us, you really feel how short these Mandalorian episodes are. Oh yeah. Cuz now now that I'm kind of in the in the rhythm and the custom of watching episodes of Last of Us and then now you pop a Mandalorian and it's like wait, it's done? The credits are what? We yeah. literally just sneezed. And when you take away like 7 minutes of previously on and then the credits rolling, this episode was like 28 minutes. And you really really Now that's not new for this season. That has been an ongoing criticism I have of Mandalorian in general. And so I, I really did feel the shortness of it. But overall, I thought it was a win coming out of the gate strong. 
Anyway, Rob, you feel exactly as I do on this episode, and you loved it. Tell <laughs> us why. Well, here's the thing. I, I didn't love it as much as you did, and I, I won't get into it. I, I do see a really interesting potential for this show and where I would like to see it go, and I think they're, they're setting that up, which is the name of this episode is The Apostate, and that would be Mando. He's the, you know, he is the apostate, and what he needs to do is he needs to get in the graces of his his belief system he's right. a true he's a true believer and he's been cast out because he violated the rules basically the main rule the main rule and and he wants to get back and i also see we also the fact that he wields the dark saber you know he has the dark saber and and i can see that a lot of this is going to have to do with mandalore like we've all suspected i really think it's going to be an interesting story if they have if they have din is going to try and unite two disparate factions together somehow i don't know he's got to get in the good graces of one and figure out where the other one is you know and lead them all and and because they're they both want i think the same things which is to restore the greatness of their destroyed home planet of mandalore i love this idea i think that's going to be a great story i want to see that story develop well over the course of this season because they've said you know favreau saying that he has uh, they already know season, season four. four is written. Yeah. So I think that they, they know where they're going. So they have a large tapestry that they um, are going after. I think it's great. That said, I felt that this episode left me a, a little bit cold in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of walking in this show. The Mandalorian walks everywhere. You know, he gets out, he walks down the streets. There's a lot of walking down corridors and all that. And to me, I'm like, just cut to where you're going, dude. Like, like, why are we, I, and I get it. It's the way the show is shot. And I think I keep, I, it's the I, Western style. Yeah. I, I just hark back to like Andor and because they use a lot of, they shoot in the volume stages and I'm, and after coming off of Andor where they were shooting on these beautiful European locations, practical that they would, sets, practical real life sets, sets and everything. I felt that I, I really felt it this time that I could tell they're making it in a different way. But other than that, you know what? It's not a spoiler. It's a little thing that Grogu was doing it was, that I thought was great. He he was sitting in a chair, and he kept spinning the chair. I'm oh, like, that, yeah, uh, that was adorable. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, I just yeah, was yeah. like, that was a... That's actually like, in the trailer, so that's not a spoiler at all. Oh, the adults are talking, you know, and he's just like, wow, this chair spins around. You know, it was just... I don't know. I, lo I, I love that. And I loved, you know, we know Carl Weathers. We see him, and, and uh, it was great. They did set the table in this episode the table is set we know what's going on we've we meet some new people we don't know i'm sure they're coming back as you pointed out so the table is set and um we're off to the races i i just want the I, I hope the show gets as good as i want it to get there is one thing i will mention here that you may consider this a spoiler it has no impact on anything narratively that happens in the episode, though, okay? Let me be clear. It's something that one of the characters notices and sees, all right? Ready? I've, I've prepped you a little bit. Goddamn space whales. <laughs> oh, you like those? Those are neat, huh? Oh, yeah, I love them. I love them now, so much. is there something canonically... <laughs> Is this something that has... So has, Rebels thing. They were in Rebels. Goes, they were in Rebels. Uh, and God damn it. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, and I, I, I'm a big fan of Rebels. I, I like, like, I think out of the, the Star Wars animated stuff between Clone Wars and Rebels, I think 
and I'm in the minority of this. I understand that. But I think Rebels is a vastly superior one. I loved Rebels. But that doesn't mean I loved every little detail about Rebels. So, yeah, you know, that's that's going to come into play later in the season, I think. I, I don't think that was just a, a one kind of uh, glimpse thing. Damn it. It's freaking damn things. Anyway, guys, question is for you. Did you guys have a chance to watch season three, episode one of The Mandalorian? If so, what did you guys think? Did you think it was the best Mandalorian ever? Did you think uh, it was good, but maybe not the best premiere they've had or, or whatever, anything in between? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and don't forget to join us a little bit later today for our Mandalorian open spoiler after show. We look forward to seeing you guys then. All right, guys. With all that down, we are now going to open up our super chats to you guys. So if you guys have a thought, theory, opinion, or question that you'd like to fire into the show and have Rob and I address, go ahead and start doing that now. Now, before we get to those, though, we're going to take just another quick second here and thank another sponsor of today's episode of The John Campus Show, Ryan Reynolds' own and my mobile service phone provider, Mint Mobile. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for your phone bill? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just 15 bucks a month. You guys know I made the switch over to Mint Mobile a while ago. The process couldn't have been easier and I can't believe that I am spending less than a third of what I was spending on one of the other major carriers before. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily in minutes with eSIM. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia that's mintmobile.com slash campia cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends and my mobile service provider mint mobile for being a sponsor of the john campia show all right guys with that down let's now head over to you and get your live comments and questions shall we you guys have already been firing them in so rob what do we got up here first uh motossum sends in a super chat and says Choices like who gets to be Black Panther after T'Challa, is that done by Feige or Ryan Coogler? If Feige wants Shuri, can Coogler convince him to choose Nakia or the decision is always Feige's? At the end of the day, every decision that happens in Marvel is ultimately Kevin Feige's. Now, there's going to be certain decisions that Kevin Feige says these are unmoldable. These are certain things that must happen in my movies to lead on to the things that I have planned. And then there's a whole bunch of them that are like, these are up to the director's discretion. But even in the director's discretion, if a director decides to do something that Kevin Feige does not want for his MCU, then ultimately Kevin Feige is the one in charge. And any decision that Ryan Coogler makes, it's because Kevin Feige allows uh, Ryan Coogler or the Russo brothers or Peyton Reed or whatever allows them to make those choices. But uh, yeah, ultimately what Kevin wants, that's what's going to happen. All right. Good question though. What's next? Uh, Nash Preds 99 says, I'm sure it's been said, but the HBO, the last of us podcast is fantastic. I miss directors commentaries on DVDs and Blu-rays. And these are so insightful for fans. This is the 
podcast, not the after shows right after the right. And I've never listened to the podcast. It's, Have you listened to them? Yeah, I just started to, and it's really good. I mean, it's just because Craig Mazin is so smart. So it's great. I mean, he brings a lot of insight into both storytelling and production. And uh, I think it's really great. But he's been doing it. You know, he's had a, a writer's podcast for himself for many, many years. So he's very practiced at it. So it's really a great listen. All right. What's next? Uh, Caden says, I love this channel, but holy shit, it goes to another level when Marvel and Star Wars are good. Mando being back is so good for us fans. Let's go. Well, you know what? I, I am still kind of in this zone, this euphoric kind of zone of, look, the pandemic crushed this industry, crushed it. I mean, it was so bad, I literally had to shut down the John Campy YouTube channel for a couple of months because, I mean, we got so far into the pandemic and no movies were coming out, no movies were being made, there was no movie news, and we kept going anyway. We kept doing a daily show. But at some point, we just ran out of stuff to talk about, and we had to put the show on hiatus. And even over the past, like, six, seven, eight months, with the majority of the pandemics now being in our rearview mirror, we have still been living with the effects yeah. of the pandemic. Do you know how great it is to be a fan of narrative storytelling and look up at my to do my viewing to-do list and see that we got Last of Us out and we got Mandalorian now back and I just got to see Creed 3 and John Wick and the Mario Brothers. And Card Season and, 3. And well, Card Season 3. And like all these, these uh, in the next one, then Scream 6, even like all this huge litany just in the next couple of weeks all coming out. It's, it's something that, I, as a personal fan, have not been able to experience and appreciate for the last three years. Yeah. And believe me, when like you have no idea how right you are that now we're living in a time at this particular moment that we've got all this content coming out. Some of it's going to be good. Some of it's going to be bad, whatever. But it's just that we've got all this content right now. And it makes me appreciate just how dry it has been and how good we actually have it right now. I'm, I'm really excited right now. Very, very excited. I'm with you, dude. I mean, it's to have all this great stuff coming and stuff. And, and for the most part, a lot of it's been really, really good. Like, I loved Andor. You know, I've loved The Last of Us. And to see this kind of high-quality production and the bar being set so high is great. And knowing we're going to get things like Dune 2 coming out at the end of the year, this is going to be, this is a good year of, of stuff. I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, the fact that that turned out as well as it did. I mean, we are really, being a fan now has been a lot of fun, you know? I mean, I'm even excited for the Oscars. I wasn't last year. <laughs> All right, what's next? Uh, Wraith X7 says, Wolverine and Deadpool were rated PG in the comics for decades. Yeah. And those comics sold a lot better than their current R-rated comics. Well, it but goes back... But you've said for a long time that the, the, this stuff does not need to be like i remember once we were talking about batman 2 and a lot of people saying we need an r-rated batman and you were like batman's never been r-rated in the comic books so I, and so how do you address that these days? well i think it's all about writing because the thing is you know the reason things get r rating r ratings is because they're explicit right language is explicit violence is explicit but you don't have to have those kinds of things you don't need uh, things that are explicit to tell a great Batman story. You don't need things to be explicit to tell a great Wolverine story. Like, you know, when Chris Claremont wrote that Wolverine miniseries, the first miniseries when when he goes to Japan and, and gets married, and it, it was a great story. 
It was a great epic Wolverine story, but it didn't need a bunch of foul language. And I mean, it had a lot, a lot of dudes getting run through adamantium blades, but you can still tell the story in such a way that it's still moving and effective and kick ass. Mm. I mean, look, Indiana Jones, the first Raiders of the Love Lars Ark movie, has lots of dudes getting, one guy gets thrown into propeller blades and the, his blood splashes across a window. Now, that's pretty explicit, but it wasn't R-rated. And Indiana Jones kicks ass. All right, what's next? Uh, Suthius says, I've only been to the Regals in the suburban areas outside Richmond. Movie land is supposedly nice. However, the location has always deterred me because the young crowd around that area can be rowdy. Hmm. And, and does that carry, I, I, like, do you think he suggests that carries over into the, in the theaters? I think so. Probably. Again, like, I, maybe I've just been lucky in the sense that, and I've talked about this before, that I get annoyed as annoyed as anybody with people mm, not just talking, but talking in such a way that is really not considerate to the other people. Like I don't mind somebody leaning over and whispering to their friends or having a little giggle chuckle. That's fine with me. I don't mind that stuff so much. Right. But I got to admit that I have not had the kind of experiences that we hear from a lot of our viewers writing and talking about, about like on a very regular basis saying every time I go to the movies, like got a bunch of people being rowdy or talking a lot or constantly bringing out their phones or their constant phone ringings and all that kind of stuff. And, and that sucks. That sucks. I, I guess I've just been very lucky where I got to say, I think for me, maybe one out of every 10 to 20 times that I go to the movies. And again, maybe I'm just lucky that only about one out of every 10 to 20 times, which is still too much. Do I go to a movie theater where somebody is is just straight up being disruptive? You know, it, it honestly does not happen all that much, and and I just it breaks my heart when I hear about my fellow film fans who have those experiences more than I do, and I guess I'm just lucky about that. One. I, I think too, though, we live in an area like we usually go to movies opening weekend or opening yeah. night, so the people that go are there for the same reason you are, which is to see the movie. You know, as soon as it opens. And I think a lot of people, when movies are not necessarily as important, you know, they go to these events and they don't think much of it. Like, I have to tell you, well, I went to the Hollywood Bowl, was like two years ago, and almost got in a fight when, because I just, these people came in and they were in their 20s, you know, 30, early 30s. And they just, it's a classical music concert. And they were just talking. And I, mm. I, I just, I turned and I asked the guy, I was very nice about it at first. But hey, guys, I mean, the whole purpose of being at the Hollywood Bowl is to hear music. And when somebody's talking during the music, it, they clearly didn't care about being there. Right. And I'm like, okay, if you don't care about being here, why are you here? We care. A lot of times at the Hollywood Bowl, they get kind of sauced, you know what I mean? So they Yeah, because yeah, they have bars and people will bring alcohol to Yeah, that, yeah, that happens and, too. And, this yeah. scene that way, but, and the guy wanted to box with me after the concert was over. And I'm like, uh, let's go inside. You want to go inside? <laughs> let's go right now. And, of course, everybody backs down, but um, <laughs> it was just weird. All right, what's next? Uh, Stubble McShave says, Warner Brothers saying Lord of the Rings will be their Star Wars has me worried. Yeah. I, I didn't. I did not read that. Uh, I, there's been a lot of chatter on this around. I don't know. I could see Stubble's usually up on I've when it comes to fantasy. I've heard people say it'll be their Star Wars, but I, 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 I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying I have not personally yeah, I haven't read that either. That an actual WB Stubble is very that. up on anything to do with fantasy literature. He's, he's a giant I don't even know what that spot. means, though. I mean, 
they already did the original Lord of the Rings, and that was their Lord of the Rings. Why does it have to be their Star Wars? It's a weird yeah, comment. I don't, what's really interesting is is they could actually tell the same story that Rings of Power is telling. There's yeah. nothing to stop them from right. doing that. Well, no, that, there actually is. Yeah, the, I, I was reading some about what the details are about oh. what they can and cannot do with uh, their stuff. It's actually a pretty interesting read about, and it, and it makes sense. So no, they couldn't just oh, do Rings okay. of Power. Oh, okay, because I was like, if it's in the appendices... All right, what's next? Suthius says, oh, no, that was, we already... Yeah, because we missed Double McShave, so we got to go to Sam Fisher. Oh, now. Sam Fisher. Oh, got it. Rob, I told John this, but it was reported that Stephen Fry will host a British reboot of Jeopardy. I think this is perfect for him. What do you think? Well, Stephen Fry is... I love Stephen Fry. He's smart and hilarious. I mean, I didn't know they were going to do... He's a great host. No, I, I knew nothing about... Stephen Fry hosting that previous thing. I, I had no knowledge of that. I, you just say Stephen Fry hosting a version of Jeopardy. And I'm like, oh, that fits. That's perfect. That could be really yeah. good. Yeah, I like that. I love that. All right, what's next? Uh, Joe Randazzo says recently. Oh, by sends in like a $20 yeah, super $20, chat. Thank yeah. you, Joe, for supporting us on that level, man. Uh, he re recently saw The Whale. Good film, but Brendan Fraser gives one of the most heart shattering performances I have ever seen. Brought me close to tears like three times. Frazier for best actor. I think I am still in Colin Farrell's camp on that. Don't get me wrong. Brendan Fraser's performance in this movie is career-defining. And he deserves every accolade he's getting. And if he wins the Academy Award, I will have no problem with that. Because no. it was magnificent. If I'm a voter at the Academy, I am still casting my number one vote for Colin Farrell and Banshees of Inisherin. But again, no problem for me if Brendan Fraser wins because that that was uh, again it was a career defining performance. It was incredible, much better performance than the movie was overall, in my opinion. Uh, the movie's good, but the performance is what carries. It's just insane. All right, what's next? Yeah. Uh, Just sub thirty two says Bad Batch, Mando, Jedi Survivor, Ahsoka. What a year for Star Wars. Rob, John loves the Bad Batch. <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it. Although I got to tell you, I didn't watch season two, but people say that there's some pretty great stuff in it. Yep. Yeah, no, a lot of, uh, I've heard from a lot of people saying that season two of Bad Batch is, is definitely an improvement over season one. I only saw a few episodes of season one, did not like what I saw. So I bailed on it. Like, I'm, you know me, guys. I'm one of these guys who, if I don't like something, I say, hey, I didn't like that. And I move on. I don't keep watching it so I can complain about it every week. Um, and that's why when people tell me, John, just get back on Bad Batch. I'm like, I tried Bad Batch. It's not for me. I'm not crapping on anybody else who likes it. If you like it, that's awesome. I celebrate it. Awesome. But there's too many other things that do have my interest that I'm struggling to find time to watch uh, that I need to use to get my time. But, you know, we, we'll see if this is a great year for Star Wars. Look, I really like Rosario. I love Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka. And I like what they have done with her so far. But we have no idea if the show is going to be any good. We don't have any idea if Skeleton Crew is going to be any good. We have, like, so there's a lot of big question marks. Because I'll tell you what. Book of Boba Fett really did a number on my optimism. Yeah, dude. It, 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 it really did. Now, look, I did not hate Obi-Wan. But, I, you know, I, at the end of it, I, I was disappointed with the Obi-Wan series. Uh, but it had potential. And if they do another season, I'm all for it because there was potential there. But Obi-Wan, while disappointing, did not put a beat down on my optimism. Book of Boba Fett, the more I reflect back on it, 
And it had its moments. The Book of Boba Fett had its moments. But God, that was awful. And and that was under the watch yeah. of Favreau and Filoni. Again, everybody has a bad day at the office. Everybody, even Steven Spielberg has had bad days at the office. But we, I, I, I'm at a point where I'm like, hopefully this is a great year for Star Wars fan. I, I'm just, I'm a, a little bit now in a mode where I, I got to see it to believe it. So I don't know. What do you think? You about know, that? the thing, here's the thing. I agree with you. I loved the way Boba Fett was portrayed in The Mandalorian when he came back. I loved it. I was like, he's a badass. Yeah, that, where was yeah. that Boba yeah, Fett yeah, that we saw in Mandalorian season two? Where was he? That was what I was going to say. I mean, I was completely perplexed watching Book of Boba Fett after they introduced him in Mando. I'm like, how do you make this? It was goofy. I mean, well, half I the time they were explaining to him how the underworld worked. And he was like, Hmm, okay. I didn't yeah. know I had to earn people's I, I, respect. If only I have been around in this world for four decades. Yeah, I, I mean, it was so, it was such a strange, everything about it was strange. All the creative choices are strange. But when they have Boba Fett running around a kitchen chasing a droid, and when he finally captures it, holding him up and going, I am Boba Fett. Don't when, even get me going on the Vespa gang. Uh, and I just, I can't, I, I don't understand. This is something I do, I just, creatively, I didn't understand any of it. Any of it. It was so weird. I don't, I don't want to go off on a book of Boba Fett hate fest, but man, it still kills me when he's when he decides to fly over the Sarlacc pit. Two things: you do remember that you crawled out of the Sarlacc pit with your armor on, right? And number two, you know very well the Sarlacc has the old Japanese porn tentacle things coming out, and yet he's like flying his ship closer and closer. I'm like, what kind of an idiot is this? And then the tentacles come out and you're like, oh, I had no idea. I mean, it's just so badly constructed. Cringe. It's so Cringe badly constructed. All right, what's next? Uh, Jeff <coughs> says, this question is for everyone. Being Oscar season and all, what actor makes you say, if they're in it, I'm definitely watching it? Um, there's a few that come to mind. Obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis, but he's retired, but he's the greatest actor of all time. Um, Russell Crowe. Yep. Denzel Washington. Yep. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yep. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yep. Those are a couple that come to mind. I love If like, they're in it, I will watch it. I'll go see anything Jessica Chastain is in. Yep. I'm a big fan of oh, hers. Oh, we're including actresses. I've got a few of those as well. Yeah, yeah. Meryl Streep, obviously. Um, I really like... Um, uh, uh, you know, she's won a million Oscars in addition to Meryl Streep. Why am I? She's married to one of the Coen brothers. Why am I drawing a blank on her name? Oh, from Fargo. <laughs> yes. Oh, now you made me forget. Francis yeah. McDormand. Francis McDormand. Yeah. Like, how do I not? You know. Three time. Three time Academy Award. Three time. Is it yeah. three time? <laughs> yeah, I think it's three time. Yeah. I mean, I mean people. Are, oh, I'll go see anything that Viola Davis is in. Yep. And Angela, Angela Bassett too. All right. What's next? Uh, King Tannic. Ten rings seem more like a Wakanda advers uh, adversary to me. No real reason as to why, but I got a feeling we may see them in the Wakanda show or Black Panther three. I don't, I don't see any connection. An organization of maybe a hundred people versus the nation of Wakanda. But I mean, they've got spies. They have like the Dormelage has shown to be operating, you know, outside of Wakanda. It, no, no. I, my problem has nothing to do with the Wakandan side. It's the Ten Rings side. I don't see how or why or any connection that the Ten Rings would at all want to mess with Wakanda. Right. Like, I, I just don't see the connection there. And honestly, it seems like that would be a sh very short conflict. Like once Mbaku's like, there's somebody messing with this, 
wipe them out. <laughs> yeah. And then it's and then they're wiped out. I mean, considering the technology advantage, they are a nation. Right. I I just don't see that as a very fair fight. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see though. We'll see. All right, what's next? Suthius says, you guys think Quantum Mania will hit 500 million? Well, the last I checked, it was at the high 300s. Let, let me check this out here. Uh, Ant-Man 3 box office. Let me see what I got here. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. It's is... an international number that could be helpful. Well, yeah, like I said, the last time I saw, man, I can't, I can't find it. I think it's good. at 364 million right now. It's currently yeah, worldwide. 364? Worldwide. And Creed opens up this week. Does Creed open this week? Yeah. Yeah, I think Creed opens mm -hmm. this week. And they're saying Creed, we'll, we'll talk about this more tomorrow, but they're, the early forecast I saw a little bit earlier this morning was that Creed is forecast to be the biggest opening in the franchise. So that you're looking at 30 to $40 more million being eaten up. The word of mouth on Quantum Mania is not good. I, I wouldn't put $100 on it, but my guess is no. It's only $138 million though right Worldwide. yeah but it dropped 70 percent from week one so that means but that was a strong 30 percent john that was a strong 30 percent and now you got some real competition opening up against it and uh, while i didn't love cocaine bear a lot of people have a lot of fun with that movie and so people are still going to go to see cocaine bear now you're going to have creed in th theaters that's probably going to open to 40 million or more i'm you know again i wouldn't put 100 bucks against it but my guess is that it won't hit 500 million but i I'm, i don't feel totally confident about that yeah i don't so, either but if it does exceed 500 it won't buy much yeah it's really it really depends on the international box office i think yeah to get it there all right what's next uh mr tidy whitey with the 20 dollars super <laughs> thank you says, mr tidy whitey question do you think warner brothers discovery has a good case to sue paramount plus over the South Park rights for episodes since Paramount was airing specials and not listing them as episodes, even though HBO Max had the streaming rights? I think this is a very interesting question because HBO Max bought the rights and Paramount ended up not making the episodes that that Warner Brothers Discovery bought. So now they're suing them for like, I don't know, $500 million, some exorbitant amount of money. And I think they absolutely are correct because... On paper, the contract that they signed, they weren't given the episodes that they paid for. Well, I mean, look, I have not read, I have not read the the you know the 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 pl plot details here of this particular right. case, right? So, what is it that Warner Brothers is saying is that Warner Brothers contracted with Paramount to get a certain number of episodes, and then Paramount failed to deliver those episodes. Yes. All right. And they, but they just didn't produce episodes the way they remember they they've done those movies. Right. So the South Park production team. Was, so they produced content. But content that was not technically episodes, therefore they could put it on Paramount Plus. I, I would here's the thing though. Lawyers are not stupid, despite what some people believe. And Paramount's lawyers would have to know. I, I would again, without knowing all the actual legal details and if there were clauses in the contract that did allow Paramount to do that. I mean, I, I just don't know. I don't know the details of it, so I can't say. But it, it doesn't sound good. So no, it wasn't we'll good. It wasn't good. All right, what's next? Uh, Stub McShave says, too bad I loved uh, Johan Rennick directing Chernobyl. That was the director on Sisterhood who left. Right. Johan Rennick. So we, we didn't talk about that. But yeah, that they lost their main writer. They lost their director and the star. One of the stars. One of the, but yeah. they've been shooting. So they're going to have to. Yeah. That's not good. And Johan Rennick's one of the great TV directors 
working today. Yeah, I, I don't know why this thing looks like such a mess. We were going to talk about it a little bit earlier. We inadvertently skipped over the topic, but it's going to be see how that kind of evolves. We'll talk about it more on the show tomorrow, though. Yeah. All right, what's Yeesh. next? Uh, D. Wild says, did Mando just pull a Marvel by requiring viewing another show to truly catch up? The mission of two seasons washed away with one line. For Mando, for Mando only viewers, a bit of a disconnect, not even previously on. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's the thing. Because if you did not watch, um, if, if you didn't watch The Book of Boba Fett, then you are instantly kind of, which, which listen, though, the show opens. This could be why, because I was wondering a little bit about the purpose of the first, ep about something that happens in the first episode. But yeah. now that I think about it, something that happens in this episode, right near the beginning of this episode, I guess takes away any prerequisite that you needed to have watched the book of Boba Fett. So I guess it, it, that could make sense. To and me. that was one of my criticisms too. And now that I think about it, that makes sense. Yeah. To me no, too. Yeah. I didn't, I'm glad you brought that up. I hadn't even considered that, but yeah, that, yeah. I think the opening of this episode takes away your need to have watched the book of Boba Fett first. Cause they basically in exposition, let you know, this is where we're at. Okay. You know what? That actually makes sense to me. Thank you for bringing that up, man. All right, what's next? Jamie uh, Rell says, to Rob in the vein of Nickelback's photograph, look at this script I have. I think you'll like it and give it a pass. <laughs> yeah, I will give it a pass. I guarantee you. <laughs> no scripts. No scripts. All right, what's next? Uh, Keon Jenkins says, have you guys heard about the new Three Musketeers two-part film starring Eva Green as Milady? Trailer looks awesome. We talked about that a long time ago. And, and, and even more importantly than Eva Green is... Uh, French, oh, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is the guy? The guy who, was married to Monica Bellucci. Yeah, yeah. And um, and he was in the uh, the uh, the oceans movies. The yeah. Oceans. What is that guy's name again? And wasn't he also like the main dance choreographer in Black Swan? Was that not also him? I think he was. He was, oh, in, Vincent, he was in Brotherhood Vincent of the Wolf. Cassell? Yeah, he's yeah. A, yeah. Vincent, Cassell, Vincent Cassell. Thank you, the great Vincent Cassell. He's great. He's a fabulous actor. Listen, yeah. That came about a year ago. The trailers for that came out. And I had not heard of this Three Musketeers. I'm a sucker for the Three Musketeers story. I, I, it's great. And I had not heard of this one. And the first trailer came I think our friend Kevin Rubio was the first one to send the trailer to me. And I watched it. I'm like, damn, this looks good. It looks so good. It looks so good. So I have no idea how to see it, when to see it. I, I don't know any of that kind of stuff, but I, you're right, man. It looks great. And we did talk about it about a year ago, but it looks fantastic. And they announced Brotherhood of the Wolves come out on 4K on yep. the disc. All right, what's next? Uh, Motossum says, 10 rings might be in Daredevil. It's narratively, I don't see the connection, but well, it, instead it's of the hand, that, that the hand know, isn't the 10 rings. No, but I mean, they, they replaced the hand with the 10 rings. So instead of ninjas... Maybe you have other fighters. Could be. Yeah. I mean, I've, like from a street level thing, like you're not going to have the 10 rings fighting, I don't know, the scrolls. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, that that's not a, that, you know what, that's not a bad theory. No. I don't mind that one. Yeah, I like it too. All right, what's next? Good. Um, Robert Tari says, if you got the chance to tell a Star Wars story and could only use one of the following, Jedi, Rebels Empire, or Bounty Hunters, who do you choose? Oh, Jedi, Jedi, for sure, Jedi. I mean, I would, I would love. Listen, I believe there's 
Star Wars is meant to be a huge, vast galaxy. And I do not agree with some of my fellow Star Wars fans who thinks any Star Wars story has to have Jedi or Force users. I know it does not. The Star Wars universe is big and vast. But if I was actually given reign to do one and only one, uh, who am I kidding? It would be around the Jedi. Well, yeah, because they're fun. Yeah, <laughs> they're super fun. Not that I would I wouldn't pass on anybody else doing stuff on on the rebellion or or and that would all be great too. Hence Andor. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say Andor has the Empire and the Rebellion, and there's no Force users, and it's fascinating. Yeah, or is there a Force user? Well, yeah. yeah. All right, what's next? Uh, Bruce Crawford says, "I love the MCU theory where Phase Four and Five films will connect by having a different team from each MCU to fight a different Kang in Avengers Kang Dynasty." I mean, that could be. Interesting, but how what's do you, he proposing? Is that there's actually two universes going on right now, and we're going to get two different Avengers teams? Is that what he's suggesting? I, I don't know. I mean, I think that he, there's going to be different Kang variants dealing with. Well, yeah, I guess that maybe. I don't know. I mean, that that could be a way to approach it. I, I mean, I, I think it's. I, I honestly think it's going to. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's going to alienate a lot of the average film goers who don't get into this stuff. But I mean, it. There are possibilities there. That, yeah. that could be something they're going for. All right, what's next? Uh, the Fault in Our Death Stars says, how big would the hype be if season two of Andor, House of the Dragon, and The Last of Us were released in the same year? Incredible year if their season twos were at least as good as their season ones. Well, I mean, look, Andor, does, Andor season two does not need to be as good as Andor season one in order to be awesome. Because the first Andor thing was so good. House of the Dragon doesn't need to be as good as the first season. It, even if it's 80% as good, it's going to be one of the best things on television. And same with The Last of Us. But man, if they if those season twos comes out and they're all on par with their season ones, I mean, we're getting spoiled. I mean, we're just oh, yeah. straight up getting spoiled. This is crazy. All right, what's next? Uh, the Geeky Unlimited says, do we still have faith in the MCU to make a good Fantastic Four? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, me too. I think so too. 100%. Like, look, this is the same, look, with all the stuff, they made Ms. Marvel, they made WandaVision, they made Shang-Chi. I mean, they've made some fabulous stuff even recently. It's been a little bit shaky at the same time, yes, but you got Matt Shackman in there who's going to be directing that stuff. This has been a passion project of Kevin Feige's for a long time. Does that guarantee it's going to be good? Absolutely not. I, but is there a reason to have a lot of faith in it? Yeah, there's reason to have faith in it. I, look, I could just say that, that from what I've read, at least, Secret Invasion, I think, is going to be great. I really do. Secret Invasion is going to be quite good. I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, and I now, love the story. Having said that, I have read scripts <laughs> that I thought were great. Yeah, and then saw them, and they're definitely the right script. It's definitely the right thing, and yet once it's put on a screen, it didn't work as well as it did in my head. Maybe that'll happen with Secret Invasion, but from what I've read and from what I've seen, I, I think Secret Invasion will be quite good. All right, what's next? Joshua Logan sends in a twenty dollars super chat. Thank you, Joshua. I just rewatched Endgame. Damn, crew, that movie will never be beat. I'm sad to say many projects since then have let me down. John, do you really believe Guardians 3 will bring it back? I really, really hope so. Thanks. Well, first thing I'm going to say this. I don't think Endgame is as good as a lot of people do. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Endgame. I think Endgame's great. But maybe I have it in the top five. Yeah, I'll say it's in the top five of MCU films, but I don't think it's as great. I actually have some real structural problems with that movie. But that being said, I mean, there are moments in that movie that are like, I mean, 
the portals moment will go down as one of the great moments in movie history. I, I honestly believe that one of the great moments in movie history. It's it's your your blood rushes. The you're just oh, it's so good. But do I think that a Guardians three can help recapture the the magic that the MCU's kind of lost a little bit of lately? Absolutely can. Listen, I, I think it's silly not to believe that it could. Who's look? Every Guardians movie has been really good. One was absolutely bloody fantastic with the first one. The second one, I don't like as much, but it's really good. The Guardians holiday special was fantastic. I It was way better than it had any business being. James Gunn, in the meantime, has done Peacemaker, which is one of the best things on television the last couple of years. He did the, uh, the second rendition of Suicide Squad, which is, I believe, the second best DCU movie that they did. So, yeah. I mean... Can it guarantee that it will? No, absolutely not. Could Guardians 3 turn out to be garbage? Absolutely it could. But if you're going to sit down and do the math on it, all the math adds up to is there's a very good possibility that Guardians 3 will be fantastic. The trailers have been great. Could it be awful? Yep. But is it rational to believe that this is the movie that could help start bringing back the match of the MCU? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. So we'll see. I agree with you. All right, what's next? Joshua Logan, uh, nope. Andy Mays says, should I see women talking? I uh, think so. I don't know what you're talking about. A women, the movie, the movie, women, women talking. talking. Is that same as the women are talking? <laughs> oh, uh, that, okay. that one. Okay, yes. Yes, you should. And the by the way, th- there's another film, just because Anne and I came across as Anne was re-watching Mandalorian this morning because she fell asleep last night as we were trying to watch it at midnight. She came across, uh, she said, Totally different movie, but it just reminded me when that came up. It's like, you know, nobody saw She Said. It's really good. It's really good. She Said is a very good movie, and you you really should check it out. I, I just i am a sucker for movies about reporters. Yeah, uh, and and especially now with the, the new sentences being handed down to Harvey Weinstein. You know, it, it's, it's, if you haven't had a chance to watch She Said yet, do yourself a favor and go watch it, because you got spectacular performances in it. I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm a sucker for these investigative journalist kind of movies, yeah. and it's it's top notch. And I have to say that the the new Harvey Weinstein case, the what he was prosecuted on, um, that woman, that Jane Doe, she recently revealed who she was. Yeah. Listening to her story, I, I was physically angry reading what happened to her. And uh, you know, as much as I really admired what Harvey Weinstein did, what a monster! That guy was a monster. Yeah. All right. What's next? Uh, uh, Anna A.R. says, Hi, everyone. Question regarding AMC Theater's showtimes. In my area, in San Diego, they eliminated AM and noon showings. Is that nationwide? Thanks. It's definitely not nationwide. I think that's probably that's probably up to the purview of the individual general manager of, of the movie theater. I know, you know, I was just uh, hanging out at the AMC Burbank 16 yesterday right by, and I know they had earlier in the day screenings. So I don't think it's nationwide, but... Here's, here's the thing. Operating it, just unlocking the doors and turning the lights on in these movie theaters is a very expensive thing to do. And then you're bringing in probably at any one time minimum, they probably have seven to 12 staff in there between just the people cleaning, running operations, behind the concession counter, ticket takers, people in the ticket. Probably minimum seven to 12 people you got to have in there that you're paying. And... If you're a certain location that you're looking at the numbers and say, hey, listen, we don't have enough people coming to morning or afternoon matinees. I'm sure it's different on the weekends. Yeah. But during the week, we do not have enough people. 
coming in to watch movies in the mornings and afternoons on weekdays that makes up for the money we're losing paying our staff to be here and having the lights turned on, then it makes good business sense just to cancel those screenings and only screen when you're going to get the people in there that makes you money. So, but again, you're going to get some theaters like the AMC, um, um, what's the Times Square? You're going to get the AMC Times Square. You're going to get the AMC Century City. You're going to get the AMC Burbank 16 that are probably getting people in there 24 hours a day. But I bet a lot of movie theaters don't. So uh, no, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's nationwide. All right, is that it? Uh, that is yes, it. All right, guys, and that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show. Thank you so much for being here, and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to those of you guys who sent in those super chats. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved here with the show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. Just a quick reminder, guys, a little bit later today at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, that's 5 p.m. New York time, we will be having our Star Wars The Mandalorian Season 3 premiere after show open spoiler discussion. We hope you guys will have a chance to watch the episode by then and will come back and join us for that. And of course, make sure you guys come on back and join us again for tomorrow's episode of The John Campius Show. All right, guys, for everybody in the room, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, Ray Ora, Jonathan Voico, Taylor Gonzalez. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.